generosity adventure, one of my favorite weekends of all time here at the greenhouse. Would you stand with me to your feet as we get ready to read and honor God's word together? My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm not going to talk about football because to be quite honest, I don't know if any Florida team that's at college at least wants to talk about it, but the Dolphins won a game. So that's nice. We won a few now. We're on a winning streak. I mean, it's at two, but that's fine. We'll take any streak of winning we can get. 2 Corinthians 9 is where I want to land the passage, and and I'll lay my heart out on the front end of things. My prayer is that this would not be an act of spiritual persuasion and manipulation where we feel guilt-tripped into generosity. Because honestly, a lot of us in this room already have hearts of generosity to begin with. This is already a generous church for our sheer size, the amount of generosity that consistently flows to make a difference here in South Florida and all over the world is honestly a sign and a wonder. Just so you guys know, throughout South Florida, Greenhouse Church is known as the kind of overly passionate, weird, they're kind of wild for Jesus, but man, those people are generous, church. I think that's a really cool reputation because we are kind of weird and out there and kind of wild, but also... Very generous. At least your pastor is kind of weird, wild, and out there. And, um, and so I'm praying that the Lord would move. I was stirred this week as I just pressed in and said, God, why do you, what do you want to say to this church that you love and I love so dearly when it comes to generosity? And the passage in 2 Corinthians came to mind. Now, a little bit of a context is helpful here. This is the early church. We talked often about wanting to be a book of Acts church in the 21st century and sort of going back to the original recipe of, yeah, we know it gets all sort of institutionalized here in North America and in America, but, but what about the, the early church? What did they look like? And the early church was a church that was overwhelmingly characterized by, can you guess? Generosity, yeah. Paul is writing, and he's writing to the church in Corinth here in 2 Corinthians, and he's talking about what has happened in, in, in the midst of a pandemic of sorts. The church in Jerusalem has encountered uh, famine, and so they're in dire straits. And so he's writing to the church in Corinth, reminding them that when they first heard about their brothers' and sisters' plights across the globe, they responded with a big sort of verbal acknowledgement. They said, hey, we're going to do something. We're going to step up. And so there's this other church in Macedonia that has given a big offering, and he's writing to the church at Corinth reminding them of what they had said and he's saying hey listen don't just talk the talk walk the walk you've talked about generosity now it's time to walk in generosity and and I think it's important because if we are not careful we let our Americanism lead before our biblical ism not a word but y'all know what I'm saying listen to what Paul says here second Corinthians 9 He says, remember this. Everybody say, remember. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He's using a harvest metaphor for generosity. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, not being forced or coerced. For God loves a cheerful giver. Everybody smile. Everybody smile. Show those pearly whites or dusty yellows. God help us all. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Isn't that a good vision for your life? 
and that through you and your generosity, it'll result in thanksgiving to who? God. That's why we're on this earth, right? This service that you perform, it's not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks. Here it is again, to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. What's generosity all about? It's about God. Well, people are in need. Yeah, they are. But people's biggest need is not material provisions. Their biggest need is God. Because of your generosity, it'll lead to thanksgiving to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you with their hearts, they'll go out because of the surpassing grace of God he's given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Lord, speak to our hearts and call us to real life, to life and life abundantly, to an open-handed adventure called generosity in Jesus' name. Amen. You can find your seat, give your neighbor a high five, elbow bump, an air high five, give him a hug, give him a kiss on the lips if you're married to him, wherever you're at in your relationship. Have you ever known someone that was truly and deeply generous? Anybody got a spouse like that? Anybody got roommates like that? Anybody got a best friend like that? My father was a man of deep genuine generosity. I remember when he passed almost two and a half years ago or so now and came as a surprise. And, and my dad, had all, he had all these mantras. My father's from a Jewish background. He was actually a rabbi. And so like the wise old rabbi says, he would have these little one-liners he would say. And one of his one-liners was, you can't outgive God. Anybody ever heard that one before? You can't outgive God. He would always speak it and he would say it. And, and we watched, to be quite honest, my, both of my parents lived this out. I mean, they were always giving to people. They were always meeting needs. They were always open-handed and generous with their life and resources. And, and then my dad passed away. And if you've had a parent pass, you know the, the awkwardness of having to go back through the, the, the sort of behind the curtains, behind the scenes of their lives. And you're having to go through their bank accounts and you're having to go through their giving records and you're having to get things squared away. And as we went through this process, I was given the gift of what I pray every single child is given, realizing that my father was better in private than he ever was in public. And I realized that his, you can't outgive God was not simply a pithy mantra that he articulated from the microphone. It was a lifestyle that he lived in greater ways than we ever realized while he was on this earth. Is this true, mom? We would sit there, we're like, he was writing checks to what? He was doing what? We were like, man, and, and, and my dad set up my mom great. I mean, he was wise. He was financially, fiscally responsible as the Hebrews tend to be. He did all that stuff, right? Lived up to all the hype, but, but this man was generous. And I started thinking back on my life and I started thinking back on really what both my mom and dad lived out as a lifestyle. They lived a lifestyle of open-handed generosity. You guys remember this analogy? We utilized it in the past series. If, if closed-handed is sort of taking whatever you have and deciding, no, this is mine, and, and no one can take it out of my, you know, talons, open-handed approach to life is saying, God, it's all yours anyway, so 
You take out what you want to take out, and you put in what you want to put in, and it's, 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 I'm your guy. I'm your gal. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And as a result, I remember, I mean, my, we did not have a ton of money growing up. My father was, both of my parents were in education. They both left their, their careers of education to go in a more illustrious career of ministry, right, from one, you know, zenith of income to the next, Right? And yet our family never lacked for anything. I mean, I would argue our life was an unending adventure that I'm convinced at this point was in lots of ways unlocked by radical, open-handed generosity. And so my prayer for this series is, is that I would give us a glimpse of an opportunity to shift our mindset and mentality to experience something that I experienced my entire life growing up with my parents, that we would experience that in our church family as well. Welcome to the generosity adventure. Are you ready? All four of y'all. Okay. Come on, y'all. You got to talk back to me, all right? You know, you can yell at me, and I'll just preach better, and I'll preach faster. Amen? Amen. All right, here's an excerpt from the vision. This is from our vision statement. We see churches of passion, people who stand so amazed at God's grace that they can't help but live lives of, there it is, adventure and generosity. We see God leading us to spend ourselves for those who could never pay us back, strong with children, students, missions, and the poor. We have been sent. This is from our missions and generosity, our leadership, one of our leadership fluencies. We are a movement of generosity. In a culture held captive by greed, we renounce the idolatry of materialism and embrace the call to give of ourselves and our possessions. We recognize the subversive nature of extravagant generosity in a culture of greed. The average American church member gives 2.58% of their income. Those are the statistics. Once it makes it into the hands of churches, only about 2% makes it to missions and the poor. That means Christians in our context are only giving about 2% of 2%. Our goal, our dream is for 50% of our funds to go to missions and the poor. And this requires faith. How many of you have heard that before, read that before? We go through that and activate. It's, it's a compelling vision. It's been much more compelling to watch over the past two decades as I've seen this lived out over and over and over again in all sorts of imperfect but beautifully genuine ways. I remember in Gainesville, we started as a small little church in Gainesville, Florida, God's favorite college town, although favor has not fallen upon us in football. Apparently, we can't win games anymore, but that's not the point. I remember being in Gainesville, and we were giving 10% away as a church. We felt like that was honest to what we were asking people to do in regards to tithing and generosity, and so... I remember we began to dream, what would it be like if we gave 50% or more away? What would it be like if, in a world of immense need where God has blessed us so abundantly as Americans, what would it look like if we said, man, every bit that we gotta spend on widgets and, and lights and tech and sound and wires, all this stuff that, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is important to meet Americans, but what if we spent just as much, if not more, on others as we spent on ourselves? What would that look like? And so we began this process, and, and over several years, we built up that number, and it got up to 50%, and then uh, my wife and I, you know, felt like the Lord, we, we, we got tapped on the shoulder by the pastors in Gainesville, accepted the call to come down here, and, and so now we've got this church plant, and, and the 50% thing, man, it was fun when you got a whole big church, and, and resources, and staff, and you got everything, and then you come down, and it's, it's John and Nancy and the ragtag group at Western High School, and, and Pastor Mike comes, and he says, hey, John, and, and he's been a pastor and a, and a mentor in my life for 15 years at that point, and he said, hey, John, every parent's dream is that their kids can build on their parents' shoulders. He said, it took us a bunch of years to work up to this 50% vision. If you'll start at 50%, he said, 
no pressure. You can do whatever you, whatever's in your heart. But if you'll think about it, if you'll pray about it, if you'll start at 50%, we'll have your back. You're not going to go under. It's going to be fine. But like, so I was like, okay, okay. And I like to tell you, I was like super, super faith, man. I'm like, of course the Lord has spoken and he will come through. I floated out of there, but I was like, Oh, man, I really hope Nancy says no. <laughs> I was like, hey, babe. And, and we, had, we had done a lot of generosity as a microchurch movement with no overhead. And, no, you know, we're just in someone else's living room and we're doing this stuff. And, and they had set up this precedent of generosity. But then we came to this point where it's like, are we going to keep this thing going? Because if you did not know, um, that's not like the, the leading church plant philosophy for your fiscal management plan. Like, not like, how, how, do, we, how do we keep this church plant going? Just give 50% away. It'll be great. It's not how it works. And so... So we got to this point and I started reflecting on, on what I had experienced at this point in Gainesville and we would be saving money for a building because we're outgrowing space and, and then God would prompt the, uh, you know, our hearts. There was a church in town that was going under and saying, man, we, we just felt like God said to give the money away. And so we're like, all right, we'll give all our savings away. Here's this nest egg. We'll just give it away to this other church. And, and then like within a week, someone in the church, their, a relative dies they didn't know about. And you get this big inheritance check and they tithe it and it's like a little bit more than we just gave away, right? I watched this stuff happen over and over. And so I'm like, you know what? What the heck? What the heaven? If we go down, at least we go down swinging in generosity, let's do it. Let's do it. We're like 50% from the jump, let's do it. And in a church planting graveyard where churches rise and fall all the time here in South Florida, we have not had a single month that we have hurt for money. Yeah. Yeah. I can't explain that other than the Bible. I can't explain that other than when God says in Proverbs, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he, God, will repay. I can't explain that other than we started off calling this thing the generosity experiment and after several years we're like, you know, it's not an experiment anymore. It's tried and true. It's proven. Let's just call it an adventure. We're on this generosity adventure, and I, and I want to remind us of our story. I want to invite us to a different way of living than the rat race that we all have preached to us ceaselessly through our digital outlets, through social media, through advertising, through billion-dollar industries who convince us that if we aren't happy, there's a simple solution. We just need more stuff. And we've all felt like that's not true, and so we've looked to other things, but the scripture is clear. We were wired for adventure. And saying yes to generosity is saying yes to the adventure that God has planned for our lives. Scripture tells us there's all sorts of adventures that God has planned, good works that he's called us to walk in, this fulfilling, abundant, real life that is willing and available to us if we'd be willing to have a posture of open hands and open hearts. I want us to dream together this morning. What would happen if we approached our lives and our finances like an invention, adventure with God. See, because here's the converse reality. Our, our penchant for, for self-preservation, our penchant for, for greed, for self-focused lifestyle, it's nothing new. It is not a uniquely American thing. It's actually a human condition. If you remember the beginning of our story, way, way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, they're kind of doing their thing and God gives them rule and dominion and they're working and then all of a sudden this serpent comes along. It's the devil sort of incarnate in slithery scales and, and he comes in and, and what does he do? He says, did God really say that you can't eat from that one tree? And the serpent gets them to question God's character. 
Ultimately, he gets them convinced that God is holding out on them, that if they ate from that tree, they would actually be like God. They would actually be better off. And he gets them to question the goodness and the faithfulness of God in their lives. And that same question has been plaguing us ever since. And so often we don't, I don't, step out in generosity and open-handed living, not because the scripture isn't clear about the merits of generosity and the call to generosity, but because we're convinced, God, I'm not quite sure you're looking out for my best interests and I've got to handle this on my own. The problem is it's not working for us. We live in a culture of opulence and abundance more than any other culture in the history of humanity, and yet we're more depressed and we're more anxious and we're more miserable than ever before empirically at this point. What's up with that? We're people materially rich beyond our wildest dreams, and yet we are relationally and emotionally broke and broken, purposeless and empty. Is it possible as a culture we're aiming at the wrong target? And that the key to life is not what you can get, but it's actually what you can give. Is it possible that we've bought into the lie that that we find our greatest fulfillment in what we can get versus what the Bible says and what we can give? Our goal, Lucy, is a giver. My wife and I, Nancy, we have two kids, and our oldest, Liam, is uh, famously infamous at this point. Tell lots of stories about this wild boy. Our girl, Lucy, is two. She's our youngest, and this girl is a giver. Any of you have kids that were just givers from the very beginning? All three of you, yeah, the rest of you are like, no, we had to, we are still praying for our children, right? But Lucy, this girl, Lucy, she's a giver. And so anytime she wants anything, she's like, she'll ask for it. I mean, she did this yesterday. She found this little pro- chocolate protein bar, whatever it was. And she's like, can I have one? I'm like, okay, sure, of course. She just melts my heart already. And she's like, one more for bruh, bruh. I'm like, oh my gosh, this little, and she goes, I mean, anything you give Lucy, she's gonna ask for one more for bruh, bruh. You ask, you ask Brubra bruh, ask for something, he's gonna ask for one more for guess who? Brubra. <laughs> he watched this game play out. But this girl's just a giver. She's just generous. And you see it in her disposition. She's so free. She's so full of joy. She like floats around the room. She's just so happy and at peace. I was talking with, I was talking with Liam, juxtaposed with this guy. And this is Acts 20, by the way. This is, this is the biblical framework for how we're supposed to think about life. Paul's writing, he says, I've been a constant example to you, how you can help those in need by working hard. You can remember the words of the Lord Jesus. This is what Jesus said. It is more blessed or it's better to give than to receive. Did you know Jesus said that? He said, it's actually more blessed or it's better to give than to receive. We've been working with Liam this week on generosity because it is not uh, his gift, certainly. And uh, unfortunately, he takes after his father in this area. It is the grace of God and the work of God that has led me towards generosity. And so we brought in the big guns. We brought in Nana to help with the generosity uh, in our son, Liam. And so we're, we're having him do Operation Christmas Child and all these things. And, and so I was like, man, I'm gonna be the good pastor. I'm gonna quote a Bible verse to my son. I was like, son, Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. This boy looked at me like I lost my mind. He was like, he was always like, dad, have you ever been given something before? Like, no, that is not true. I'm like, well, this is a carnal man, son. This is not actually a reality. But it's, for any of us that have stepped out, when you've given a gift that just hit the spot, you felt it, right? You're like, man, I would do that a thousand times over. It really is better. 
It really is better. But in the moment, it never feels that way. See, it's not natural, but it is true. God's heart for the poor and the marginalized and his call for his people to be open-handed people of generosity, just like their father in heaven, is an overwhelming theme all throughout scripture. Check out James 1.27. James says, religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It goes back to the Old Testament in Leviticus 23. God commands his people, when you reap the harvest of your land, this would have been an agrarian society. This was their format of wealth, right? It's not Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and, and, and stocks and bonds and gold. It was harvest. That's how they dealt with wealth. He said, so when you reap the harvest or when you're dealing with wealth in your society, don't take everything. Don't reap to the very edges of your field. But God, it's my field. I know it's your field, but it's not your field. It's my field, God says. Don't reap to the edges of your field. Don't gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner among you. Who dare? Who are you? Oh, by the way, it's me, God. Just making sure he knows with what authority it's coming from. Proverbs 19 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to who? The Lord. Whoever gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. This is the call of scripture. This is the call for followers of Jesus and, and God knows our frame and so he even warns us of the penchant towards wealth-obsessed, close-handed living, towards keeping all of our stuff for ourselves. Proverbs 23, he says it here, don't overwork to be rich. You're like, that's a Bible verse? That's a Bible verse. Don't overwork to be rich. You're like, I have 15 TikTok influencers that said the opposite. I don't know what to tell you other than that's what God said. Don't overwork to be rich. Why? Because of your own understanding cease. He's like, listen, you got to realize this about money. Riches make wings and fly away like an evil toward heaven. Anybody got an amen to that one? You're like, whew, the stock market right now. Lord have mercy. If you invested in crypto, you're like cryptocurrency. You're like, oh my goodness. Like He said, don't, don't overwork to be rich. Why? Because you'll have it one moment and phew, it's gone the next. And you live this life of emotional schizophrenia where you're all over the place, up and down and back and forth. You're all over the place. There's this very different approach to wealth and finances and generosity than our cultural norms espouse. And it really begs the question for those of us who follow Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, we're thrilled that you're here as we investigate God and faith and spirituality and talk about this very different way to think about living and life and wealth and generosity. But if you follow Jesus, I want you to ask yourself, or I'm gonna ask you these questions. Does God love you? Yes or no? Correct answer, ding, 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 one out of one. Question number two, is God smarter than you? All right, no lightning strike, so we're all good there. Yes, also true. Now let's get to his character. Is God trying to ruin your fun or teach you to thrive? If you answered affirmative in all of those three instances, I need you to realize because God loves you, and because God knows you better than you even know yourself, this is how he instructs us to live, open-handed, generous, and on the adventure. Because he knows, because he cares, because he loves us. Now, let me be clear here. This is not, God does not need your money. Do you guys know this? Like, he's fine. Like, it, it's not like God is in heaven biting his nails, hoping for a cash flow stimulus from some Christians. Otherwise, he's going under. 
You guys realize like God is, he's the cattle on the thousand hills guy in an agrarian society. Basically the point is God's got deep pockets. God doesn't need our stuff. God wants our. And God loves us enough to be honest with us that if we are not careful and circumspect, our hearts get owned by our stuff. And if and when that happens, we become enslaved. We become trapped. Jesus said, your life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. In fact, we're warned about this. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul warns, he says, command those who are rich in this present world. How many of you are like, he's talking to me? Right? No, not like Command those who are, you're like, I'm a college student. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Why is God telling me all this stuff about money? Is it because he needs money? Nope. Is it because he just wants to spoil my fun? Nope. Is it because he just, he just doesn't quite understand the modernity of society and how we operate as a current society based off of financial wealth? And he's not exactly the best strategist when it comes to income and growth accumulation. God doesn't quite get the stock market. Is that what's happening? Nope. It's because he wants us to live the life that is truly life. Now, I ask that question because if I'm being honest, when I hear Paul saying, command those who are rich, I'm like, sweet, talk to them, Pastor John. Talk to all those rich people out there. Mark Zuckerberg, I hope you're listening. You listen to everything anyways with meta, whatever that is. You're always listening, so we know you are. Like, all right, you tell the rich. Okay, so let me, let me help us find ourselves in the equation. Um, here, is, here are some stats on our modern world. If you make $25,000 or more annually, you are part of the richest 2% in the world. Is that real? Yes. You're like, well, Pastor John, I actually make less than $25,000 annually, so hit me with that. Okay, do you have electricity? If you do, you're a part of a quarter, one quarter of all humanity live without electricity, approximately 1.6 billion people. If you have food, there are 805 million people worldwide that do not have enough food to eat. In fact, hunger is the number one cause of death in the world to date, killing more than HIV, AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. So let me ask you again, who in this room is rich? Which means this passage applies to everybody. And this warning holds for us. See, this is the danger of what Jesus says in Matthew 13 is the deceitfulness of riches. Here's the deceitfulness of riches. Riches convince you that you're not rich. We've proven this out, by the way. In, in all of the psychological sort of surveys where they try to get wealth assessments from people, they ask everyone from li living on government assistance to people who are living in mansions and millionaires, and they're like, how much money would you need to feel at peace? How much money would you need to feel, you know, sort of secure? How much money would you need to feel happy? You know what everybody says? A little bit more. A little bit more. Everybody says this. It's crazy. What in the world is up with that? It's because riches lie. They're very, very persuasive. 
See, the danger of wealth is that it's so tempting to hoard it all for ourselves, to keep it all for ourselves. And you were not made for that, God says. And if you do that, you will wither from the inside out and you will become less and less alive, not more and more, less and less. And God loves you. And he wants you to fully and deeply live and to live the adventure that he has designed you for. And one of the principal keys to unlock that adventure is a heart of generosity and an open-handed approach to life. Here's my prayer. Greenhouse, as we get ready and we're gonna culminate this entire sermon taking up one big offering, you're like, I knew it, you were gonna hit me up for money. Yeah, here's what we're gonna do with this big offering. We're gonna give it all away, all right? <laughs> we don't take any cuts from this. We don't take any overhead from this. We don't take any, grab. I mean, these are all the organizations that are thoroughly vetted, gold standard, doing incredible kingdom work. Here's what I'm praying, that we would decide and decide again, God, this is all your stuff. You're the owner. This is all, everything I've got is a gift. I breathe your oxygen every single day, Lord. You've given me the brain power that you've given me. Everything is yours. My life is a gift. I'm not the owner, I'm a steward. So whatever you want me to do with it, I'll do with it. That we would live a, a generosity adventure in our lives, that we would live open-handed rather than closed-fisted, that we would say, God, it's all yours, that we would live the adventure that God has designed and intended for our lives, unlocked by our obedience and generosity with our time, energies, talents, and finances. And man, I'm encouraged because I, I feel like this is the path that our church is genuinely on already. You're already here because you bought into the vision or you heard about it. You're like, wait, what? There's a church that's doing what? What are they trying to do? And they're giving their whole offering away. Why? Because God's been so generous. It's not like we're some heroes that are here. It's like, man, if you've encountered the grace of Jesus, you're like, God has been so incredibly generous to me. How could I not respond and at least hoping and do kind? And, and I started thinking about this life that we've been given. I started thinking, I was thinking a bunch about my dad this week, one of my life and faith heroes and and man, this man just spent himself into the end. I mean, just gave of himself with his time, with his energies, with his love, with his care, with his finances. And I can guarantee you he got to heaven and he wasn't looking back like, oh man, I wish I would have saved a little bit more and I wish I my mom's good, everything's fine. I guarantee you he went and finished that life and lived it with no regrets. Which by the way, isn't that what we all want? Like when we come down to it, isn't what we're hoping for? It's like, man, I want to live a life where my, where my kid, I raise my kids and they're proud of me and I, and I live an honorable life where they can follow in my footsteps and, and I leave a mark and I leave a legacy and I glorify God and I'm a blessing to people and I love people. And it's like, man, at the end of the day, all this stuff that we got, it's not going to matter. It's going to matter. We're going to get to heaven. We're not going to be like, well, Jesus, did you check out my 401k? Pretty wise fiscal and management. Did you see how I allocated that? And at the very end, like, we're not going to care. We're going to be like, Jesus. It's you, it's me, it's you, it's me. And then what's the next thought gonna be? We know about it. Our next thought is gonna be, you're better than I imagined. And it says that Jesus is gonna begin our experience with him wiping tears from people's eyes. Why? Because I think we're gonna get a sense of just how good he is and how much we wish we would have spent every single moment and every single dollar and every single conversation and every single opportunity to help people experience his grace and his goodness because we had a moment then that we don't have anymore on that side of eternity. And church, we have that moment right now. 
I started thinking about, I I have a heart for educators. I love getting to be involved in Broward schools. It's one of the reasons we're here at Western and, and, and there's all sorts of incredible open doors that have opened up here in Broward schools with pastors and principals and relationships and, and getting counseling and, I mean, it's been amazing. You know what started it all? Generosity. When we had the tragic shooting in Stoneman Douglas, there was one group that stepped up in radical generosity and stood out above the rest. Guess who it was? The church. A bunch of churches got together and said, man, we gotta get over ourselves and our logos and our pesos and our emblems and all this stuff. And let, let's, let's step up. And so they went to Home Depot and said, hey, we'll do a matching donation. All this stuff happened and a bunch of people in the school board all of a sudden said, wait a second. I'm not a person of faith and I'm not a Christian. I don't know what I think about this, but when we were in a bad spot, you know who clearly showed that they love us? Christians. So we're listening. We're listening. What's generosity all about? It's all about God. You, you see it in 2 Corinthians 9, so that people will give thanks to God, so that people will give praise to God, so that people will acknowledge, whoa, this God that everyone's telling me about, because Christians, man, we could talk. This God that, that everyone's told me about, that I've heard about, all of a sudden I'm experiencing his goodness through his people, and it makes me want to finally listen. I love being a part of a church that is actively allowing God's love to flow through us to bless and touch a world that's hurting and broken. And this morning, worship team, you can come up, we'll get ready, we'll close in songs in a moment, but before we do that this morning, we're trying to do on a macro level what has already been happening in so many beautiful ways and organic ways on an individual level through the generosity adventure. We've been passing out these cards for for a few weeks here, and I just want to go through all these partnerships because maybe you're new to Greenhouse and you're like, I've you know, heard about some of them, but here at Greenhouse, our, in, in what feels like a prior life, one of my other jobs before I was pastoring, um, I worked for a charity foundation, and my job was to vet nonprofit organizations and assess them in terms of their fiscal management and their impact on the ground, make sure that they were legit on the up and up, and I would make recommendations to a foundation based off of support. That same level of stringency and vetting is the same level that we now place towards our missions partners. So if you're like, Pastor John, I don't know, because have you heard about all the nonprofits and the crazy things they do? That was my job, okay? You're like, Pastor John, I don't really know. Anybody that is especially on this list and on this generosity adventure, they are legit as legit could be. Like maybe they're lying to Jesus, but for everything that in humanly possible, we have not been able to find it out. They have a good reputation in their community. They are longstanding and reputable. They're gonna have great reviews on, on GuideStar and they're gonna, they are great and they're doing their works. Most of them are already Jesus-centered and doing their works for the gospel. Missionary Sam and Life for the Innocent. How many of you are here when Missionary Sam spoke or you're familiar with Missionary Sam or a lot of you guys? Their, their organization is absolutely incredible. They literally work throughout Asia rescuing kids out of human trafficking. I think to date they've rescued 10,000 kids to date. We've been with them on the ground. The work they do is incredible. I mean, it's, it is God-honoring to the max degree. They don't only rescue kids, but then they help rehabilitate them through medical care, through counseling, through trauma-informed care. Then they get these kids adopted into forever families. Oh, and by the way, as they get these children's homes up and running, they also double as churches where the gospel is preached and transforms unreached context and communities. They're absolutely amazing. 
Four Kids is an organization right here in South Florida that does gold star, I mean, the top shelf work in the foster care system. Four Kids is faith-based, so they do all of it in the name of Jesus. And they have a new initiative called the Care Portal. What the Care Portal does is before kids are removed from their homes and placed in the foster care system, the Care Portal says, man, so many of these kids are removed for very preventable, fixable problems. What if we got churches and nonprofits and businesses to meet these needs before the kids ever get removed from their homes? Does that sound incredibly wise to anybody else? I'm like, oh my gosh. They're like, let's do this. And so this is this thing called Care Portal. We've already been involved in this. We'll get um, reports from social workers that say, hey, we've got this family. We've got a single mom. we got a single dad, whatever the case might be. And they're trying their best, but they, they just had a baby. They need a crib. They need this solution. And so we've been able as a church family through microchurches largely to provide those specific things that families need, but what they ask is, hey, they also don't just need material possessions. They need a community to wrap around them. And so we're able to offer both tangible meeting of needs and then a faith community, a community that can wrap around that family in love and care and support. We're trying to raise funds to have some urgent needs that are happening right here around the holidays met right here in South Florida for families in crisis in Jesus' name. Number three is Favor International. I spent time with them on the ground when I was working for the Charity Foundation and of all the organizations, they were one of my top two that I'm like, Jesus, for the rest of my life, if you'll give me any platform or influence, God, I want to help raise funds because they're that incredible. It's a bunch of Africans in East Africa who just in the midst of the carnage of Joseph Konya and the Lord's Resistance Army in Northern Uganda, as they experience atrocities that I can't even speak about from a stage because they are that grotesque. Jesus began to work and they said, we should be dead. They're working with child soldiers. They're working with all sorts of horrific things. They said, Jesus, we should be dead, but you saved our lives. So our lives for the gospel. So they go into areas where no NGO will go. They go into areas where governments say, man, we can't, it's too war-torn, it's too violent, it's too bloody. We can't even go in there. And Favor International says, send us, we'll go. And they go in and, and because they're just, because no one else will go, they're like, but we're gonna do whatever we want in Jesus' name. Like, sure, okay. And so they go in, they're like, a lot of us die, but those that don't, we preach the gospel, people get saved, and the only solution for guns is the word of God. It's the Bible to change hearts. And they watch entire communities and entire nations transformed. People get saved, they send in portable Bible training, they have a heart for discipleship, they raise up missionaries, African missionaries, homegrown, it's indigenous-based and indigenous-led, and then they send them off into other war-torn areas and other unreached sections all throughout Africa and North Africa. They're absolutely amazing. The Harvest Drive is an organization started right here in Western High School. It's fueled and led by students working with adult leadership, obviously, and, and they are working to meet food scarcity for families in need right here in our community here in South Florida. I mean, this month, there will be families that are not quite sure where holidays and meals are gonna come from. This is an opportunity. We built a relationship with the Harvest Drive over the past six years. This is an opportunity to step up and say, hey, there are some key items that you never get enough of. Our prayer is that they would get more than enough of these key items and they would get them in the name of Jesus. And lastly, Container City, Guyana. We've got a whole microchurch movement that somehow God decided was the right timing over the course of this pandemic, and they're amazing. And they were inspired by you guys. 
They said, well, Greenhouse is always talking about how we worship and community and mission, and we should be actively engaged in the, in the lostness and the brokenness of our world. And in our context, churches never care for the poor, but Jesus talks about the poor, so we're gonna do it. So they found a community, an amazing community called Container City. It's a squatting community there in Guyana that's been there historically for a long time. And they said, this community is amazing and Jesus loves them and they need some help, but they're incredible. So we're gonna come alongside and not give them a handout, but a hand up. And we're gonna work with leaders in this community, a lot of whom are watching right now. And we're gonna make a difference and we're gonna do it in Jesus' name as the church. So here's what I'd like you to do. Why don't you close your, your eyes for a moment? And I just want us to pray. I have no idea what God wants you to give. Maybe it's nothing, maybe it's everything, maybe it's something in between. We're trying to raise $30,000 total to meet all of these dream projects for these incredible partners to wrap up this year. Holy Spirit, I'm just asking that you'd move on our hearts. Lord, you have blessed us so immensely in our country and in our context. And Lord, you are going to hold us accountable for what we do. God, I'm praying that we would prepare for eternity in this moment that we could look on you with joy and say, God, I know I wasn't perfect, but Lord, I responded to your promptings and I was generous and on the adventure. Holy Spirit, prompt our hearts. If you'd like to give cash or check, the ushers are gonna come forward and they're gonna pass the buckets through. They've got envelopes. If you'd like giving credit, you can write your name and whatever amount. You can designate it to specific projects or to wherever is most needed. My hope and prayer is that we can meet every single one of these projects and then some, but you're welcome to allocate as God puts on your heart. 100% of what we collect for this generosity adventure goes towards a generosity adventure. We don't have to take an overhead. Thank God we're doing great. Thank you, Lord. We can just give it all away. So ushers, if you wanna come forward, you've got giving options online through e-giving or text to give. I wanna give us an opportunity to give and once we're all done, we'll get a chance to sing and close out and worship together. Holy Spirit, move.
stand up and sing a little bit? Let's do it.
shake our chains off a little bit. No, we want to know you more because you're the treasure. We're looking for Jesus. Come on. You are the treasure. You are the treasure. My heart is after blowing this place. The more I seek you, the more you show me. Come on. You are the treasure. My heart is after all. It's after you, Jesus. The more I seek, the more you show me. generous towards you that in the midst of your crisis he already sent his son Jesus who paid the price and the sacrifice that you and my sin and rebellion warranted before God 
and offers you freedom and a fresh start and hope and forgiveness and right standing with God. And all you have to do is be willing to get to a place where you're like, yeah, I I need it. (laughs) I need it. I need it. So we'll close service in just a minute and then we'll go eat pie and celebrate what God's done. And, and uh, I'll, in a few weeks, I'll share the total of what Jesus has done. I hope it's gonna blow all of our minds and some of these missions partners will start crying on the spot. By the way, that's our mission. Like, that's my dream. I'm like, I wanna make every single one of them cry. Like, that's it, about the goodness of God and all that Second Corinthians 9 language. Like, that's my prayer. This little, this little church in Davie, Florida, who's got a big heart, that God would use us, spend them, wring us out like a towel and get every bit of glory you can out of us, Lord, while we're on this earth, right? That's our prayer, God. So if I could get some of our prayer partners up here, if you just need prayer, if if there's something going on in your life, if you're online, you can request prayer there online as well. But if there's something going on in your life before we go out and celebrate and hang out and eat pie and enjoy, if you'd like some prayer, we've got some incredible people up here that would love to pray with you. Don't leave without giving God a shot. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're amazing. I love this church, Lord. I love these hearts. They're just, they're, just, they're on board, God. Jesus, we mean it. We, we want our lives to matter. And we're not talking about in this like earthly, you know, fleeting, significant way. We're talking about in eternity, God. We're still here on this earth. And if we're still here on this earth, God, it's because you have a purpose for us. You have a plan for us. You have a destiny for us. You have a calling for us. We want to say yes to that. But we're like sheep, God. We get distracted really easily. We all, like sheep, have spiritual ADD. We just drift all over the place. God, keep us centered. And would you allow the habit of radical generosity to be a retethering point for our souls? as not just a moment in a weekend, but as a lifestyle until we see you face to face. Jesus, our hearts are yours and our lives are yours and our micro churches are yours and this church is yours. Lord, do with it whatever you see fit. We will go where you send us and we will give what you tell us and we will say what you want us to say and we'll do what you want us to do we trust you and Lord would you allow the refrain of our lives to be at the end of it all man he just kept getting better Lord I pray a blessing over your people would you bless them and keep them would you make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them would you lift up your shalom shalom your perfect peace give them your peace give them your joy in Jesus name Amen. Thank you.